Okay, that's the cue to get started today. Uh, for the record, my name is Phil Alvarez. I'm a hearing examiner for the city of Kirkland. I work for them by contract as I do for uh, 20 other jurisdictions. Uh, those in your area, I think like uh, Mill Creek, City of Edmonds, Snohomish County, and, uh, and a bunch of other ones as well. Uh, the hearing format today is actually dictated by the rules of procedure for hearing examiner appeals. And I'm going to try to share a screen on that so you can get a layout of what the hearing is going to be like today. Let's see, that should be it. Okay, can you all see that yet, the hearing format? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, so we'll start off with my comments, then uh, opening statements. That's, um, if you don't have anything prepared, don't worry about it. Usually we don't do it, but if, if anybody wants to do that, we'll give them a chance. And then the city gets to go first according to the rules, then the appellant second. And then the applicant, if the applicant's present, can uh, make their pitch on this. Um, then uh, testimony from others entitled to appeal. According to code, it's really the only persons allowed to participate in this appeal hearing are the, um, the appellants and, and also anyone who provided written comment on the, uh, on the permit that's under appeal as well. And then we'll get back to rebuttal evidence and I'll let it allow the appellants to have final word on rebuttal evidence uh, just because they have the burden of proof according to code. And then uh, we can move into closing arguments as well. So looks like we do have a lot of information to cover. Just uh, of course, bear in mind that, that um, uh, I, I mean, it's been very thoroughly documented all of your concerns and issues and I've, and I've uh, already taken a first crack at reading it all. So bear in mind, that's going to be probably all in the record already anyway. You don't have to worry about uh, uh, um, repeating everything that's in those documents. I'll consider all of that information for the record. And speaking of which, I'm going to pull up the exhibit list at this point. By state law, I'm only allowed to consider evidence that's put into the record today. That would be comprised of your testimony during this hearing and then any exhibits that are admitted into the record. That's a pretty strict state law based on the premise that uh, those of you participating in this hearing have a right to know all of the information that's considered for the final decision. Staff's not talking to me outside of the hearing process about anything substantive about this project. You know, they send me an email about scheduling the hearing, of course, but that's pretty much the only contact I get. I'm really not even allowed to read the local papers to find out, you know, if there's any press coverage on this, what's going on. So uh, the documents that are admitted into the record, and there are quite a few here, are important. And I'm going to pull that up at this point. Make sure I got the right one. Okay, so at this point, you should be seeing page eight of the staff report, and that identifies uh, seven documents. And at this point, I just want to uh, make sure there are no objections to entry into the record of those. Uh, this isn't time to dispute the contents of those documents. That's what the hearing is for to, you know, if you disagree with any findings of staff or that kind of thing. But if you believe any of these documents listed there, the enclosures one through seven uh, are not relevant to this proceeding or authentic, like there's a fake deed in here or something of that nature, just let me know now. Um, if you do object, just go ahead and say I object or push on the the virtual uh, raise hand feature at the bottom of your screen. So any objections? Uh, I, yeah. Phil, I have a question. First of all, nice to meet you. Um, uh, uh, Roman uh, 7 in the closures references my comments, but I couldn't find them in the material that the city provided. Okay. So I, I assume that's a, a, the, the, there was an error. They didn't include them in their comments, but I also didn't even though they're stated here, I didn't find them. So maybe that's on me, but uh, I just want to note that for the record. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, let me ask staff. Is it, uh, I, I, I seem to recall, I, I mean, I certainly saw a lot of uh, letters from Mr. Sheets. I don't know 
if the, the missing ones comprise those. Does anyone on the staff side want to explain that? Uh, this is David Aldridge, the project planner speaking. Um, if you give me a second, I could page through this uh, meeting packet to see if it's in there. It's yeah, maybe listed you can share screen and show them so we all confirm yeah. that those are the missing. Well, and, and um, while he's doing that, I don't mean to put him on the spot. <clears throat> Phil, another question, if I can process wise, could you just, you know, we're all lay people, could you give us just a little primer on what what your role is and what your scope is and what criteria you can use for rejecting or remanding a proposal for more work if it's inadequate um yeah well actually i mean the uh, staff report lays that out pretty well the the um the criteria for for this process one uh, housing cottage review uh are in uh, zoning code section 145.45.2 that talks about it uh, the proposal has to be consistent with all development regulations and also consistent with public health safety and welfare which is a really broad uh criterion and um, basically you know lets you address almost anything that, that's adverse that's within the jurisdiction of the city on this case and then uh, we also have some very specific um cottage uh housing standards that's uh, zoning code section 113.45.4 where you have to uh, establish that the project's compatible with surrounding uses and uh, any modifications to the cottage, cottage regulations are important to the success of the proposals and alternative housing projects so so that's what i'm really focusing on and, and really as lay people i mean you um it, it pretty much if you discuss, you know, the, the adverse impacts that you're concerned about because of those broad criteria, it's, it's going to be pertinent. I mean, one important limitation in the appeal is you are limited to whatever was uh, written into Ms. Lyon's appeal. That's that's a that's an important topic because that it's an issue of due process that the staff and the applicant then know what this appeal is about in advance. So I have to be a, a little strict about that. But um, beyond that, you know, it's it's as long as it's pertinent to Ms. Lyon's appeal, uh, you'll be allowed to talk about it. So yeah, if there's any question about what the criteria are, I would just refer back to Mr. Aldridge's um, staff report on the appeal that lays it out pretty well. And Mr. Aldridge, and Mr. Aldridge, did you uh, did you find that letter Mr. Sheets was talking about? I did, Mr. Aldridge, and I'll share my screen right now so that we can see that it is on, uh, it would be page 150 of uh, part six of the meeting okay. packet here, so. Um, as yeah. you can see here, we have uh, Mr. Sheets's uh, email uh, with his comments on the proposal, um, and we will be discussing that further uh, with my presentation. And if I could now, um, I don't know if now is the proper time, but uh, I do have a request to uh, include my PowerPoint presentation as part of the official record, if that is okay. Okay, yeah, let's let's yeah, we'll, we'll address that next. Uh, Mr. Sheets, is, is this the... Uh, was yes, that the thank, thank you very much. Okay. We, we received all six parts, uh, I think, yesterday, so I, yeah. I probably did not go, uh, obviously, far enough into the documents. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there, so... <laughs> okay, so just to confirm, no objections over one through seven, then, as listed on page eight of the staff report for enclosures, then I'll go ahead and admit those documents and Mr. Aldridge you said you had a PowerPoint you wanted to share. Sorry I think I need to interject. Oh, um, sure. I, I have a similar question as to um, Mr. Sheets. Um, we had submitted um, comments. My name is my Doug Taylor. We're, we're uh -huh. west of the of the development um, and they were omitted during one of the rounds and um, I had some email communication with I believe David Aldridge 
um, where they were, they were meant to be amended into the document. Um, so I wanted to confirm that they actually did get included and that um, I, my written comments were formally a part of the appeal process. Um, and I had some concerns about that, especially because you couched the appeal process in terms of Mrs. Lyon's appeal. Um, and I wasn't sure why she was singled out as the appellant, uh, as, whereas other people like myself and Mr. Sheets were not mentioned by name. Okay, well, she's the representative for the appellants. It's uh, according to the staff reports, it's Ms. Lyons uh, written appeal on behalf of Matthew Lyons and Ms. Desmail, Zimba, Bosworth, Bosworth, Sheets, Rawson, Foreman Roar, and Kirk Roar. Those are the, uh, um, the, the pool of appellants, but she, she was uh, kind of designated as the, as the, um, the representative. Okay, that makes sense that there would be a designator, uh, someone that was designated. However, our name should certainly be on the list of appellants. Um, it's something that I've gone back and forth with. Mr. Aldridge about several times. So if we could correct that at this point, that would be wonderful. Okay, great. Yeah, and and I guess my concern is that I, I wouldn't have gotten uh, Mr. Taylor's comments and would have included them in, in our main appeal letters, as well as any other concerns that he would have included. But, but this was an appeal based on the neighbors that we were aware of, um, and, and we didn't know that that Mr. Taylor would would um, also be appealing, which oh. which I'm fully supportive of entering any additional comments from yeah, him. Yeah. And, and like I said, anyone who submitted written comments has a right to speak during this uh, appeal. So um, uh, they'll, they'll certainly be heard. So, so I, I guess my concern is if we're limited to the comments that were on the appeal letter that I submitted, um, and there are different concerns that Mr. Taylor has, are those going to be um, allowed to be talked about? The, well, the appeal is limited to the um, the appeals the appeal letter you put together, Ms. Lyons. So yeah, that's that, that's it. I mean, if, if Mr. Taylor wanted to be an appellant, he, he would have had to file a separate appeal if he wanted something different from what you put in your letter. Which okay, it sounds so, like he did. So David, can can you speak to this, please? Because we've we've traded some emails where it seemed very clear from from my view that I was submitting comments for the formal process. Um, can you speak to why at this point those are not included? This, Phil, Phil's been very clear that um, procedurally what I've submitted so far is not on the table. Well, I think we're talking about two different things here. Um, we only received one appeal letter from Ms. Lyons. Uh, you did submit formal comments that were included as part of the public comment period for the original uh, permit but you, I did not receive or uh, a, an appeal letter or request for appeal or payment for an appeal from you individually. So um, this appeal is limited to only the official request for appeal that we received. I see. So there must be some process that I was either unaware of or somehow missed. And, and I mean, Ms. Lyons' appeal is pretty comprehensive, Mr. Taylor. Was there really something that was missing there, you think? or You know, I'm, I'm not sure, um, oh, as, okay. as I thought I was doing something um, in parallel. So okay. Okay. I suppose I'll need to observe and understand where this is going on. I would, I would assume that I have missed the train, however, so that if there needed to be an appeal from my side, that, that there is no opportunity for that, or is that still possible? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's one of the things, I mean, uh, the appeal rules are fairly lax for the most part, but the one thing they were, the courts are really strict about is that you have to file an appeal on time, 
and it has to be clear about what your appeal issues are. Like I said, I would be pretty surprised if if Ms. Lines didn't encompass, you know, address all of your your issues. But um, Mr. Aldridge, is is Mr. Taylor's uh, letter someplace in the packet of documents we just entered into the record? Yes, his comments are part of the original uh, public comments submitted during the public comment period. If I could share my screen here. This is uh, the attachment five from enclosure one, which are all the comments from the original comment period. I have an email here from Mr. Douglas Taylor with an attachment that is also included as part of those original comments. Again, this is separate from the official appeal request that okay. is the subject of this session. Those okay. were included and addressed with the original staff report. All right. And uh, um, Mr. Taylor, if, if you, it's it's hard, you know, there's so many documents here, it's hard to, to find the ones that you need to look at. But um, I think for you, maybe probably the most important one would be Ms. Lyons' appeal to see and, and make sure that, that she included your considerations. And, and that can be found on page 132 of part six in there. So that, that's where her appeal is located. And it's, like I said, it's pretty uh, thorough and comprehensive. So hopefully, uh, you know, all your concerns are there and you'll certainly be allowed to speak uh, today as well okay. about these appeal issues. So I will, I will hold for now. I think I understand how things are working. Sorry for the interruption. Oh, no, no. It's, I'm glad you asked. So, all sorry. Right. Uh, sorry. One other question. Sorry. Just uh, to be clear though, if, if the appeal items in my letter cover some of the concerns that Mr. Taylor has, he's allowed to speak during this session yeah. to those concerns. Exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it sounds like we'll probably be okay. Yeah, yeah, I think you, you probably, like I said, probably will. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Any other questions before we jump into it? Uh, also, Sam, I think we'll take breaks like every 90 minutes or so. I have no idea how long this is all going to take, but um, uh, if it takes more than an hour and a half, we'll, we'll do that. And we'll also take like an hour for lunch around noon or somewhere around that time. So, um, with that, did the part, did any parties want to make opening statements or do you just uh, want to just jump right into presenting your evidence? Any preference there? I can. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll just let the city just jump into it. And uh, um, now I'll well, test. I, I, oh, I can, I can yeah. make a quick opening statement on, uh, this is Sam Ziemba, and um, I do apologize in advance. I, I, I will have to depart um, likely or prior to 11, around 10, 1040. Okay. Um, and Mr. Ziemba, you're part of the city staff, is that correct? Or? No, I am oh. part of the uh, appe appealing, oh. I, have, okay. I uh, am the neighboring property owner to the north, uh, on the north northwestern uh, okay. borderline of the uh, development site. Okay, and like I said, all, all testimony will have to be taken under oath. So let me swear in, Mr. Ziem, would you swear your right hand? Do you swear for him, tell the truth and nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I do. Okay, great, go ahead. Well, uh, Mr. Oberex uh, Aldridge, um, Regala, really thank you guys for the time today and uh, appreciate the city both going through this process with us uh, while we are just a few uh, handful of individuals here, neighboring property owners, we do speak for the surrounding community. We've had conversations with uh, neighbors, uh, people that live on the street, up and down the street, and have not spoken to a single person who is in favor of the development as it is planned. So uh, we ask that you take and consider our voice as the voice of the community, voice of the city in which you all represent, and that our interests are to um, help both the city and the developer develop in a way that is going to benefit the future of Kirkland. You know, we are residents here. Uh, 
long-term residents here, many of us uh, longer than I've been, but um, I tend to be here a long time. I've got a, a two and a half year old and another one on the way in October. So um, with that, the, you know, we, 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 we've noticed the city has uh, worked with developers very uh, constructively. And there's an opportunity here, we think for both developer and city to exercise restraint and not build to max unit count, uh, but instead develop to max future livability. And we really ask that the city and the developer consider that as they hear the rest of the proceedings today and this appeal. And we are, we're not trying to, you know, squash the development, if you will. We're a group of concerned citizens that are uh, trying to aid the development and and making it align with really the city's goals and visions as per the development standards as well. So appreciate the time today and uh, I'll leave it at that. Okay, thank you, Mr. Ziampa. Anybody else wanna make an opening comment? All right, let's move on to staff. I take it, Mr. Aldridge, is that you? Yes, sir. Okay, let me swear you in. Just raise your right hand. You swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I do. Okay, all right. And then uh, once you're done with your PowerPoint, Mr. Aldridge, then um, ask it to be admitted into the record and, and you know, I'll ask if there are any objections and we'll get it in there at that point. So go ahead. All right. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so I'll share my screen. <clears throat> so again, I am David Aldridge. I'm the project planner uh, for this uh, Watershed Ecologies project, City of Kirkland file number ZON2100113. <clears throat> so just to give a brief overview of the project, uh, Dominic Rubal submitted an application for an eight unit cottage project on February 11, 2021. Um, over the course of about a year, staff reviewed several or requested several revisions to the original proposal uh, to conform with uh, various city codes. And on May 5th, 2022, the planning and building director did give a conditional approval uh, to the cottage project. And that approval was subsequently appealed by Elizabeth Lyons and several other eligible appellants on May 25th of this year. Um, here in the presentation, I do give a list of all of the appeal items. Um, all of these items will be summarized. I will go through each individual matter uh, and I will give staff's response to the issue. So here I show a site plan. Uh, generally, we have eight detached cottage homes that were proposed. Uh, these homes are all served by a 20-foot drive aisle. Um, there are two large sections of common open recreational space located in the central portion of the lots in addition to a vehicular turnaround at the western portion of the lot and a uh, detention vault at the western portion of the lot, which is also the lowest point of the site. So to get right into all the appeal issues, the first is uh, a deficient geotechnical report. Um, the appellants state that the 
the geotechnical report was not appropriate. Uh, it was, and that it was based on a single family project, not a cottage project. And therefore this project being based on that deficient geotechnical report, uh, it should not be allowed. And staff's response to that is that there is considerable overlap between these projects. Um, and the applicant did discuss uh, the change from single family to a cottage project in the geotechnical report in a letter. That's an enclosure one. Um, and the city's consultant, Associated Earth Sciences Inc., did review that full geotechnical report and letter um, as our peer reviewer and uh, did request a few revisions to the geotechnical report, but ultimately did approve it uh, as being satisfactory. Um, there were also some, com some comments about uh, how uh, erosion control and liquefaction were not addressed in that report. And in the meeting packet, I do um, give some page references to sections where those items were um, mentioned and addressed in the geotechnical report. Uh, the next appeal item is uh, changes from the original proposal. Um, basically that uh, the original proposal that Ms. Rubal submitted uh, was uh, very different from what the end product was and that all the neighbors uh, and people who submitted comments did not have an opportunity to respond to those changes. Um, just to go over the process, probably review these things when someone does apply for a process one permit, uh, we post uh, public notices. We post them at the site, at City Hall, and uh, in publications of record. And we go give an overview of what the development proposal is. And if that proposal is changed, um, and it's a substantial departure from what it was originally, the city can require that we re-notice, so um, redo all of those public notices, or maybe even reapply if it's a significant change, a completely different project. Um, the revisions that uh, were made to this project were requested by the city to conform with codes, and they were uh, minor in nature, so uh, the city did not see it fit to re-notice for this project. <clears throat> Um, the next subject is public comments. Uh, but the opponent stated that not all the public comments were addressed within the staff report. Um, and the examples that they gave were from Mr. Edward Sheets and Ms. Elizabeth Lyons. Uh, this is a legitimate uh, complaint. Um, when this is uh, when we were, this was oversight on my part, um, when we received all the public comments. Uh, when compiling all of them together, I did overwrite Mr. Edward Sheets' comments, so they were not included in the original public comment um, attachment to the staff report. Uh, fortunately, uh, there was considerable overlap between Mr. Sheets' comments and uh, the other comments that were addressed in the staff report. Some of these subjects from Mr. Sheets's uh, comments letter were uh, the subject of neighborhood appropriateness, traffic and pedestrian safety, uh, tree retention, uh, and affordable housing, all of which were addressed in that report and were similar with the other uh, balance and uh, people who submitted public comments. Um, one that was not uh, exactly addressed uh, with those comments was the matter of the geotechnical report being deficient, which 
uh, I did discuss previously in the previous slide here. Um, as far as Elizabeth Lyons' um, comments uh, that they were not addressed in the staff report, uh, uh, Elizabeth Lyons was named uh, in the staff report and her comments were addressed therein in, uh, in the uh, transportation memo that is included in enclosure one. Um, I think there was some confusion um, uh, maybe between the maiden name and the email name, uh, Sheets versus Lions, but those comments were included in the staff report. <clears throat> the next topic is that of stormwater management. Um, basically, uh, the appellants say that the project will, um, will result in significant increases in stormwater runoff, um, and also that uh, Kirkland Zone Code Chapter 113 requires us to incorporate low impact developments, uh, practices uh, in cottage developments and those are not incorporated at all. Um, and to respond to that, uh, I did include in the meeting packet technical details about uh, how stormwater is, uh, stormwater standards that we do apply here at the city. Uh, generally, uh, this, this subject property is within a level two flow control area. Uh, the standards for that area are a bit technical, but I did include them in uh, the packet. And with the technical information report that the applicant did submit, they did show compliance with those standards. Um, and they will have to submit updated uh, technical information reports at each stage. Uh, demonstrating compliance and that nothing has changed. Uh, with respect to the low impact development practices, um, generally the, the, uh, it does say where feasible uh, for these practices and uh, staff did determine that it was just uh, not feasible to incorporate uh, a lot of those uh, LID practices. Uh, some examples that are listed in KZ 113 are uh, retention of natural hydrology and topography, um, which is, uh, again, not really feasible in this property because it is so steep, uh, you wouldn't be able to maintain uh, maintain those. Uh, vegetated swells were an option that was given, um, but those are, are typically involved with infiltration, and infiltration was not recommended by public works at this site. Uh, and there's also a recommendation to use you know, sort of open channels instead of pipe systems. And again, with the slope of the site, open channels uh, would result in erosion issues due to the flowing water. The appellants also mentioned uh, that some neighborhoods, some areas in the city have special regulations due to their uh, things such as limited access, geologically hazardous areas uh, and things of that nature and that this area too should be given that designation and have special requirements as well. Uh, one of the examples given was Goat Hill uh, and the Goat Hill special regulations were included as um, a enclosure in the staff report for this meeting. And the staff staff's response is that uh, uh, Goat Hill has some unique uh, conditions that uh, are not that they, that 
aren't at the subject property, uh, very unique circumstances. Um, for instance, uh, in Gold Hill, the roads can be, uh, road widths can be as low as eight feet, and um, those conditions aren't present anywhere near the subject property. Um, it's just a very unique area that is not comparable. But um, as you'll see in the enclosure, um, a lot of the sort of standards and practices that we do have for the Gold Hill area are applicable to this project as well, such as uh, pre-construction meetings and erosion control measures. <clears throat> uh, tree retention was a big um, point of contention as well. Um, the appellants contend that and uh, decide uh, the construction is going to remove at least 25 significant trees. In addition, um, there's no assurances that offsite trees will not be protect or will be protected, excuse me. And uh, this level of clear cutting and tree removal is just not a usual compared to many of the other projects uh, that occur in Kirkland. Um, and uh, the response is that. Uh, True retention is definitely a goal of Kirkland. It's a stated goal of the uh, comprehensive plan. And we recently updated our tree code to be more robust and strict. Um, but uh, the creation of additional housing units is also a stated goal of the comprehensive plan. And um, considering that we do allow double density for cottage projects, uh, this could often come in conflict with uh, tree retention when you're dealing with multiple detached units on a single parcel. And it's just uh, a point of managing uh, those goals and trying to get the best outcome. Um, we were able to protect this tree, some trees on the site, but uh, again, building eight units and all the infrastructure that goes along with that uh, made was a challenge for tree retention. And uh, I do include here an uh, excerpt from closure one, which is the tree retention plan from the original staff report. You can see here, all of the removed trees are represented by X's on the plan. And as you can see, um, they're mostly located uh, sort of on the Western portion of the property um, where, even if uh, when the applicant was originally proposing a single family home, uh, a detention tank was being proposed along the western side of the property as well. Um, just the, the location um, of where the trees are, are sort of associated with a steeper area. If you can look at the contour lines here, um, that has to be flattened out to make the for building the houses and to make the site more usable and to direct stormwater conveyance and things of that sort. So um, they just wouldn't, uh, given the location of these trees, the only uh, way to protect them would be uh, really eliminating you know, half of the proposed units, which is, um, which is a, uh, a big ask. So again, we're managing those goals and uh, trying to get the best outcome. Uh, the code has been updated since this project was um, since this uh, project was applied for to be more robust and strict. But um, again, we're just managing those goals. 
Oh, Mr. Aldridge, let me interrupt you for just a second. I, sure. I want to uh, just advise the parties at the beginning of the hearing that all testimony is subject to cross-examination. So uh, Ms. Lyons and the applicant will have an opportunity to question Ms. Mr. Aldridge about his testimony when he's done. And, and uh, the same applies for all the other parties as well. So just wanted to make sure the parties knew that that was the right that they had. Anyway, go ahead, Mr. Aldridge. Thank you, Mr. O'Bricks. Thank you, gentlemen. Is that, uh, will we be notified of when we can uh, cross-examine or is that? Yeah, that yeah, when, yeah. when Mr. Aldridge is finished, I should be saying, did, did anyone have any questions of Mr. Aldridge at that Perfect. point? Yeah, all right. Thank you, gentlemen. Sure. Okay, the uh, next appeal topic is the driveway and pedestrian pass. Uh, the appellants state that the driveway and pedestrian paths are too steep to be usable. Uh, we do prescribe a max grade for um, driveways in uh, Kirkland Zone Code Chapter 105, and that max is 15%. Um, the applicant did conform with that, and the driveway does not exceed 15% in any location. We do not prescribe a max grade for walkways, um, but um, staff did accept that same 15% for the walkways as well. Um, I did include here a uh, section from uh, the profile and road section from enclosure one, which the solid line here does indicate the finished grade. Um, and you can see here that it is fit no more than 15% in any location. And I think this uh, also uh, is useful for showing the existing grade with the dotted line and sort of illustrating those challenges with topography that are that don't really allow us to retain uh, natural hydrology and topography. Um, there are several design standards and guidelines associated with cottages, um, more than a single family home. And the opponents contend that uh, this proposal um, is in violation of several of those standards, including uh, building orientation, standards for open space, that it be usable, low impact development, uh, diversity and design of buildings on site, uh, and pedestrian connections. And um, staff responds by saying that the units adjacent to the common space did show a covered porch um, adjacent to the, the common space which is one of the qualifying features to demonstrate compliance with orientation. Uh, the LID concerns were addressed previously in the, in the stormwater uh, section on the previous slides. Um, and <clears throat> I include a few, um, I include this rendering here that was included in the staff report as well that does show that these uh, that there are common open there are excuse me covered porches that are adjacent to the common open space, which is a qualifying feature. And these are the front facades of the easternmost units on the property. As you can see, these all have uh, fairly different designs here. For example, unit four is a completely different style than the other units. Um, unit units five and three have uh, somewhat similar facades, but completely different roof, roof forms. Mm -hmm. And units three and six have a completely different paneling and window layout. So, uh, and again, uh, they could add, you know, 
different paint color and material colors uh, to increase diversity uh, as it gets to the building stage. Double check here, make sure. And the pedestrian connections um, were shown on the site plan. Uh, they are nestled within the uh, they are nestled within the twenty foot drive aisle, which was approved by Public Works uh, for situations where uh, uh, traffic has where cars are coming, entering and exiting at the same time. They need to pass each other. It's at the same, the pedestrian connection is at the same grade, but it's differentiated by, uh, by the pavement material. The appellant stated that the proposal should uh, include uh, affordable housing, but we do not require affordable housing for cottages until you reach 10 units, and this proposal is for eight units, so no affordable housing was required for code. <clears throat> The appellants did reiterate the pedestrian and traffic safety concerns uh, from the uh, original <laughs> public comments, just stating that, you know, uh, eight units won't result in a lot more traffic and therefore endanger uh, pedestrians and drivers. Um, and the transportation engineer did provide a supplemental memo, which is included with the meeting packet. Um, and to further respond to those, but generally the conclusion was that uh, vehicle trips generated by an additional eight units uh, will be uh, minimal in the grand picture of uh, traffic circulation. And contextually, there are just no reports of congestion or emergency vehicle access issues on 112th adjacent to the subject property. And there haven't been any reports of vehicular accidents in at least six years. <clears throat> there were concerns about uh, the trash cans, um, and in the appellate letter, they did uh, include a picture, you know, of a street with several uh, waste receptacles um, along the right of way. And if you include garbage cans, compost bins, and recycling bins, this project would result in uh, 24 additional waste bins and uh, congestion along the right of way. But waste management did approve um, a plan to allow waste totes to be picked up um, on the subject property, so not along 112th Ave Northeast, uh, in front of the houses and the private uh, driveways that serve the private garages. Uh, this is an example from the staff report uh, with the statement that garbage cans, containers will be placed in the driveway. Uh, within five feet from the edge of the access road to be serviced by waste management. So no additional trash cans will be on 112 Ave Northeast. I did include here the letter from waste management saying that they reviewed this plan and approved it. So in conclusion, um, uh, as the process one code states, it, the, the onus is, sort of, is on the appellants to uh, prove that the conditional approval was an incorrect decision on the part of the planning and building director. And based on our review of the appeal, not the enclosure, staff recommends that the hearing examiner affirm the conditional approval. Okay, so at this point, I wanna ask if there are any objections to entry of the PowerPoint as uh, we'll mark it as exhibit two, exhibit one being the staff report and all enclosures, any objections? Okay, that's admitted. And now at this point, any questions of Mr. Aldridge? Yes. Uh, I'd like to cross-examine. Uh, Mr. Aldridge, thank you very much for 
uh, your responses. And um, I'm going to focus on a couple areas, uh, mainly the trees, and then also the the traffic and unit count. Um, and and I guess I can start with the the, the traffic and unit count. Um, you stated that the uh, there have been no accidents within six years um, on this street. And while that is uh, probably accurate, um, you know, I've relocated here about three years ago. And uh, while, while I have not been involved in any accidents, the uh, number of close calls is alarmingly high. And that is due to the high traffic of pedestrians that both access the, the watershed park uh, from Northwest University and the surrounding community but also due to the number of vehicles that are accessing 112 from multiple parcel units uh, on one street and where you get turn in, turn off onto the same street. So um, the traffic data is not accurate of the current actual um, uh, experience for living on the street. Um, in addition to that, the unit count you mentioned uh, of eight being uh, minimal is, is not true. Uh, the uh, south side of 112 uh, currently is uh, uh, home to 27 residents. So an increase of eight units is 30%. And that is a significant increase on the south side of 112, not a quote unquote minimal uh, number of, of units. Um, uh, and that, those are my main points for, for traffic and unit count. Um, I'll pause there before shifting over to trees. Uh, okay, and Mr. Zambia, at this point, we're, we're just dealing with questions of Mr. Aldridge. Did you have any questions of Mr. Aldridge? This is cross-examination. Uh, I, I apologize. I was going for, for a cross-exam on those. But um, oh. so uh, the questions, um, uh, negative. Okay, okay. Yeah, and you'll have an opportunity to see when we get to the appellant's presentation, then you can actually just make those points and, and you'll have full- Perfect, uh, perfect. Well, you got a heads up now, so. Yeah, that's good, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, uh, any any other cross of Mr. Aldrich for anyone? Okay, well, let's move on to the appellant's presentation evidence and Ms. Lyons is the uh, appellant's representative. So she gets to go first and, and anyone else on the appellant team can speak as well. And then uh, people who aren't on the appellant team listed in the written appeal, there'll be an opportunity for them to speak later on in the proceeding as well. So, so anyone who submitted written comments will get a chance to speak today for sure. So Ms. Lyons, let me swear you in. You just raise your right hand. You swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding. I do. Okay, great. Yes. Um, uh, do I have to go first? I was going to let Sam go oh, first. No, you I'm, I'm happy to. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Whatever order you want to do is fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll let Sam go and then I'll, I'll go after him. Thank you. Sure. Uh, thanks, Elizabeth. Um, uh, I, I guess the, the topic of conversation for that I was going to focus on mainly is, is the trees. And I do have a few slides I'd like to, like to share with okay. uh, the group today. Um, let me see if I can, can do this properly. So we saw the site plan um, and the, uh, just for the record, uh, I, I reside on the neighboring parcel to the north and what we have is um, 
a proposal that would remove 25 of the 38 uh, trees on site. And uh, other trees on the site are likely to die from the construction activity. And this plan proposes uh, construction and structures within the drip line of trees on neighboring properties that would likely kill those trees and create dangerous conditions if they fall. And those dangerous conditions uh, are likely to fall onto the neighboring property owners, such as myself's residences. Uh, Loss of all these trees is not consistent with the city policies and would adversely affect the environment. You know, KZC 95.30.1 states the city's objective is to remain, retain as many viable trees as possible in a development site while still allowing the development proposal to move forward in a timely manner. Uh, the analysis goes on to explain all the reasons the trees cannot be retained and then says tree protection that is achieved is completely consistent with the requirements of KZC 95. Uh, this is not enough analysis to support uh, this contention to know whether the staff analysis is reasonable and prudent. Um, the staff analysis also does not adequately address the loss of trees due to construction building within the drip line of these trees, and that uh, a large majority of the uh, legacy trees will likely die as a result. Uh, finally, the staff analysis on the impact of the effects of offsite trees is, is somewhat disturbing. It says a risk, a tree risk assessment of the neighboring trees will be provided to the affected homeowners after excavation near neighboring trees. The issue of offsite trees being affected by construction activity on an adjacent parcel is ultimately a civil matter between the neighbors. Um, in other words, uh, after the construction work is complete, that the, the, they could damage the trees and uh, the city is supposed to let the homeowners know about it. So it also appears that the intent is that the city would approve a flawed plan that adversely negatively affects neighboring properties. And those neighbors only remedy is to sue the developer. Um, so we question if that's consistent with the city's policy for tree retention. It does not seem like that is the case and, or it should be the case. And what you see here is, is, a, is an example of this. Um, I, I, uh, this is my property to the north um, uh, of, of the lot. You have the site plan below and the, and the lot line boundary between uh, three parcels, myself, uh, Diana, and um, Elizabeth um, to the, to the uh, north. Uh, going, just, going really, um, can, can you identify where you got this document that we're looking at right now? Is this, uh, in the... uh, this is a screenshot of the site plan that was provided. Okay. Um, and I've circled the tree that I'm going to show you in yellow, just for okay. reference. And, and I, I don't um, recall, have I sworn you in, Mr. Zimbabwe? I don't recall if I did or not. You did. Okay, good, good. Just making yeah. sure. Happy to do it again if you need to. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. Yeah, all right, go ahead. Uh, so what you see here is cottage, proposed cottage number one uh, in this uh, left side, proposed cottage number two and number three. Uh, cottages one, two, three, five, six, and seven, which are off picture, on the same uh, location just to the south uh, are the largest cottages in the proposed development. And they are the cottages in closest location proximity to uh, these legacy trees that are, that are on shared lot lines. So the proposal states that the um, developers to obtain written, uh, written consent from any of these uh, shared trees uh, in order to be cut down and uh, no one, to my knowledge, of the adjacent property owners has provided such written consent. In fact, for the record, we do not provide any consent for removal of this legacy tree, uh, which shown right here in the middle is the one that was circled on the on the um, site plan. And this is a picture from my property looking south to the development site on the other side of the fence. 
So you can see the tree here. Um, and on the development plan, site plan, this tree is not slated to be removed. However, uh, the site plan shows a house or a cottage being built within 10 feet of the lot line. Um, this is a visual representation. Um, I walked out with the tape measure and 50% of the way through that tree where the lot line exists, extended 10 feet out, uh, where the developer intends to build a cottage, um, excavate and, and dig a foundation. Um, this is a very tall tree and the likelihood of them uh, killing the tree root system or significantly damaging enough to where the, the risk of uh, falling on the other side um, becomes very high. Um, the base of that tree is approximately seven feet, nine inches from the proposed base of the foundation. That is not a lot of space for a tree of that size and magnitude to be not only digging, but also uh, pouring foundation and then constructing a two-story structure. So uh, very high likelihood that uh, not only this tree, but also the others that are surrounding the property are going to be um, killed off in the process of this development, even though they are not slated for actual removal in the site plan. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, uh, again, we're not trying to be difficult neighbors here. We're trying to uh, amend the site plan to reduce the overall number of units in a way that we can um, you know, have a development site that is, that is sustainable is that everything that I love is on the other side of that tree. Um, this is a look from the proposed development site north to my property. Uh, my son's, my two and a half year old son's bedroom is immediately on the other side of that tree. I do not think it is um, uh, uh, worth the risk of, of if their arborist is wrong, if the developer is wrong of endangering that root system of that tree in order to get one or two more units of uh, new housing in the community. And that I'll, I'll pause there. Okay, and Mr. Zimmer, do you wanna enter these uh, um, PowerPoints into the record? I do, thank you. Okay, all right, any objections for anyone? Uh, all right, then I'll go ahead and admit uh, Mr. Zimba's, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll call it his PowerPoint uh, composed of four documents as exhibit three into the record. Okay. Thank you. Do you have any other comments, Mr. Zimmer, was that it? Uh, that is it for me. Um, I, I did reference other property owners and uh, and and trees because I, know, I do know uh, Mr. Douglas Taylor shares a lot line and I do not know if that opens up his concerns or if he has anything to add, but um, I believe um, if it did, uh, feel free to speak up. Okay, uh, okay. Are there any questions of Mr. Zimba at this point in cross-examination from any party? Applicant or staff, none, okay. All right, uh, Ms. Lyons, do you have any other persons who wanted to, you wanted to line up for speech at this point? Oh, um, uh, Mr. Taylor, do you wanna speak now or do you want me to go ahead and then um, you can follow either after myself or Mr. Sheets? Um, I don't know what's better since I'm talking to respond, I'll, I'll just speak um, at the moment. So we have a, a shared tree or, or two on the property line as well. We have similar concerns um, as Sam shared. So I would just say, yes, plus one, and I, I echo those, and I'd like to see more consideration paid to tree retention on the site. Um, my additional comment would be, um, when we look at the watershed property at the moment, we see a giant forest. And um, it is 
dense and you cannot see through it. We cannot see the current building that is up on the top of the hill. Um, I think that the amount of tree removal exceeds the, the limit on the weighing of principles that David spoke to. I 100% agree that we should be building more dense housing. So I understand the tension. Um, I think we could do a bit of a better job keeping some of the trees. Um, in particular, we do not give permission for any of the shared trees to be removed. And I'd like to see some more retention um, paid to the natural wildlife that's on that property before we would go ahead with a project. Mr. Okay. okay, sorry, Mr. Charlie you got in there pretty quick before I could swear you in. Just let me swear you in after the fact. You swear from that the testimony provided is too incorrect to the best of your ability. I do, I swear. Okay, great, thank you. All right. Okay, anyone else from, well, first of all, any questions of Mr. Taylor from anybody? All right, then Ms. Lyons, any other persons who wish to speak? Um, I think Ed Sheets will speak, but I will speak okay. first. All right, go ahead. Um, so I have a couple of points and, and thanks Sam and, and uh, thanks Doug for speaking. Um, you know, my, my first point is going back to the geotech um, question at hand that, that Mr. Aldridge had presented. And, and although, you know, I think one theme that I just wanted to touch on is, is a, a lot of comments are being brought up by neighbors, but uh, the theme seems to be that the city says that they're responding to them, but I don't think that we'd be having an appeal process if they felt that they were responded to appropriately or, or actually addressing the concerns. Um, so I would say the first concern is that although the geotech um, report, it started with a plan for one house and then it was um, edited or there's an addendum to say that actually this does fit for eight cottages. Um, my concern is that there weren't actually, there wasn't any other work done. And we have several neighbors who have gone through projects with the city that have had to go through numerous geotech reports in order to do a tiny project and revise and revise and revise and get new and new reports. And this seems to be a double standard given um, sort of special consideration to a big developer that doesn't have to revise a report. And although I'm a pediatric nurse, I'm assuming that the geotech um, input to eight houses versus one house is very different, especially on a very steep slope. So that's my, my first concern. Um, and, and again, I just like to focus on the fact that, that this concern has been brought up and it sounds like the city feels like they're addressing it, but I, I really don't feel like it's addressed if we keep asking how are one house versus eight houses different. Um, my second concern and sort of to what you said, Mr. Ulbrichs about the purpose of these hearings is that I do have a lot of safety concerns. Again, I'm a pediatric nurse. I work in orthopedics and child accidents is a huge issue. And so, you know, although the street isn't necessarily meant for small children to be on their bikes, we do have a lot of kids on their bikes. We have a lot of people walking down the street. This is a, you know, Watershed Park is a public park that people like to use. And so my concern is that we, despite there again being a traffic safety report related to these concerns, we haven't yet really come up with a way of preventing any accidents. And to Sam's point earlier about um, not having any recorded accidents or, or um, responses on the street, we actually have had several cars that have ended up in ditches due to sort of the size of the street and the, the proximity of the street. Um, at the end, it's a very hard turnaround. And anytime an ambulance comes to the street, which there have been several ambulances due to the age of some of our neighbors in the past couple of months, you're 
unable to get through the street either. So I, I do have concerns about the size, not having sidewalks and just the blind um, driveways that go up and down from sort of the, the layout of the street. Um, and, and because we don't have access points on the 110th side, um, all we have these very big easements that people tend to speed up and pull out of pretty quickly. And, and so that is a concern. And so, again, I, I don't feel like those issues are being addressed super well by the city. I feel like the city is saying that they are addressing them, but I've yet to actually see, um, you know, ways of preventing accidents, especially for our smallest, our smallest humans that reside here. Um, I, I'd also like to go back to the drainage question at hand. Um, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of um, pictures posted by the developer about the storm drains on 110th and the way that the drainage is going to go down the hill. Um, but I do have a lot of concerns again about uh, the safety of that and, and the safety related to the residents. Um, our house, quote unquote, has a drainage plan related to it. However, we continue to have many, many drainage issues that we are having to independently solve um, ourselves despite probably an approval by the city of the way that our house was built 10 years ago. Um, and I know that other neighbors have as well. And so I can only imagine with climate change and, uh, and other concerns with eight houses being built and taking out trees and, and other natural habitats that help with drainage and the way that water runs down the hill um, to actually, I, I'm worried that, that that's not actually being addressed appropriately. Um, I think you know my my final couple of points are related to the fact that the the city really isn't listening to the community. You know, I want to be really sensitive to the fact that this is an affluent neighborhood that um, has a lot of resource and, and that we don't want to be known as neighbors that are trying to prevent progress in terms of opportunities for families to move in into the neighborhood. But the fact that 50 neighbors have signed a letter and many more have sent um, concerns to the city. And I feel like the, the way in which the concerns are being addressed are, are really just statements of the concerns are being addressed without without plans and rebuttals and and things that are are matching sort of the needs, um, it is concerning to me and and um, you know it seems again like there continues to be a double standard for developers, especially this developer and what they're allowed to do on the street. You know we have several uh, people on our street that have tried to sort of increase the density around their homes in order to house, you know, ailing family members or, or you know, build onto their homes in such a way or, or make their homes safer. And, and they have to jump through hoops that seem very different than the hoops that um, the Granger company is, is jumping through. So I, I want to make that known that, that that feels very evident in the way that we're talking to our neighbors. And, you know, finally, I think the one one concern I have and, and related to the, the listening and the comments is that it really, you know, the goal of being a citizen in the Kirkland community is, is to be a part of these decisions and to raise these concerns and to be listened to and 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 to be part of the community conversation. And and the community conversation is essentially being ignored and, and flattened by a special interest group and a large corporation to build what they want to build. Um, and, it, and it feels really um, similar to sort of other larger public situations that have happened recently in the United States in terms of the will of special interest groups sort of 
outshining those of sort of the safety of, of the community and, and the needs of the citizens and what they need to be safe and human. So I, I just, you know, warn against that. And, and that's the feeling on, on this street. You know, as Sam said, we want to, I, my kids go to Lakeview. I'd love more families. I'd love more playmates. But the way in which this is being developed feels unsafe and that there could be ways to make it safer and, and more appropriate for sort of the topography and size of this neighborhood. And just to, again, focus on what Sam said, we're, planning to increase the size of a street with one access point by 30% in one failed swoop. And, and despite questions to the city about ways to make other outlets or other ways to sort of allow this housing development to have, you know, different access to different things, um, there's yet to be sort of a, a decision-making process around that or an ability to do that. Um, my one additional final point is I know that there's a lot of city code around the amount of parking that these developments have to have. Um, in previous cottage developments, when I talked to the city when this was first being proposed, the other cottage developments I looked up were on sort of more traditional city blocks where there were four streets um, outlining the site plan. And here there's one street outlining the site plan. And additionally, you know, some of the plans surrounding cottages have to do with public transportation and whatnot. I take the bus to Seattle Children's about four times a week. It's nearly impossible to be able to walk to a bus stop. So those who choose to live in this housing community are going to have to have cars in order to actually access either any public transportation or access where they need to go during the day. So the, the limitations to sort of parking and, and whatnot, I think again, is, is a concern of mine and goes back to the safety concern. Um, I think those are my comments. Okay, thanks Ms. Oh, sorry, Sam. Uh, yeah. Like any any questions of lines at this point? Thanks, Elizabeth. Okay. Just just to confirm and make clear for the the city and everyone, uh, I, the the result, I, I guess, the opportunity for the city and a developer is to, uh, you know, hear these concerns that we and you have raised, and the rest of the community, and then take them into modifying the site plan to reduce the overall number of units from eight to potentially six, you know, and, and to go about, which still accomplishes the goals of a developer to develop and the goals of the city to increase the number of, of housing units from one to seven on this site and, or six, pardon me, one to six on the site, um, which, which, in, in our point of view is a win-win-win, right? It creates a safer environment, less traffic, better, more tree retention, uh, but, but another site plan needs to be drafted that takes these, these items into consideration as just an actionable item for the, for the appeal. Okay, and uh, I think Mr. Sheets, were you next in line to speak? Yes, do you want me to okay. swear in? Swear in, do you swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I do. Okay, so before I start, Sam, I know you have to leave. Was there anything else you wanted to cover before we lose you? Uh, you, you know, uh, th thanks, Ed. I, I think what I'm going to do is uh, just switch off, switch devices, and um, and I, you, you might lose me on video, but I'll I'll, I'll stay on. And and I, I do have some cross examination questions for Mr. Aldridge um, that I would like to bring up, but. Um, if, if Mr. Albrecht and Aldridge would like me to do that now, I can, or if it's uh, more, more prudent to, for, 
for you to speak, uh, Ed, and then so be it. Um, uh, I, I think the closer here. to Mr. Aldrich's testimony, the better that we do the cross. Yeah, it should have been done back when you finished. But yeah, if you have questions now, go for it then. Yeah, I, uh, Sam, I think we need to accommodate you, and I'm happy to wait. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I'll I'll, I'll begin cross exam then for Mr. Aldridge, and, and again, thank you very much for for. Um, not only the work you put into this, Mr. Aldridge, but but the, the time and attention for the city. So, um, you know, you had referenced on the, um, and, and I'll reiterate this, that that the unit count of eight additional units is minimal. Uh, to clarify, it's the south side of, uh, uh, sorry, the west side of 112th. There are 27 existing housing units that access 112th Avenue. Uh, Eight, adding eight units is an increase of 30%. So it is a significant increase in units, not a minimal increase in units uh, on this street. Um, next up, uh, you had mentioned in the tree uh, retention. Zimba, again, do you have questions, of Mr. Aldrich, or are you just making points at this point? I'm, I'm still, are you asking him to answer? You, you said, you said cross-examination. Yeah, cross-examination so is, is when you're asking questions of Mr. Aldrich. Oh, uh, yeah. it is. So is there, um, is there any support that you can have that has, that, that you can show that shows that adding eight units is minimal to that, that side of the street? Well, um, the transportation memo that was included did actually get into uh, calculating the number of vehicle trips that were gonna be generated by, um, by the additional eight units um i we don't calculate increases relative to what's already in place in the neighborhood i, I believe that it's based on max capacity based on the density that's allowed in the neighborhood what it could potentially be at a maximum um and i think a lot of it's just based on the fact that if this person were the short plat um i think it's useful to think like if this person were the short plat they can have four lots and then um if next door were a short plat, they could have four lots and you would get the same or more because you're dealing with larger um, larger units. You can get more vehicle trips generated by by those units. So um, the the eight cottage units is comparable to what would be um, the increase for two four unit short plats. Um, so that's where we're getting the minimal uh, description from. Uh, thank you. And then uh, you referenced the uh, in the tree uh, portion that the only way to protect the trees is to reduce the number of cottages by 50% or half. Um, and uh, I would uh, question you to see if is there another way to reduce uh, the cottage count by less than 50% that could also accommodate protection of trees on site? And has the city taken any steps to determine what that would look like? Uh, the city has, um, the city has, we developed a um, sort of an internal committee that uh, reviews cottage projects and kind of uh, tries to even develop our own, what they could look like within the uh, confines of the cottage code. 
that might, uh, you know, get at protecting uh, trees better. Um, but I mean, I think this is a situation where you're kind of balancing, you, a property owner sort of has the rights to develop their property within the confines of the code as they see fit. And you try to sort of, there's a, there's a distinction here between what your goals are and what our actual codified regulations are. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing with codified regulations, it's like, okay, you have to fix this, right? But when you're dealing with our goals and things, when it, we, we push, we try to facilitate that, right? We even have modifications, like we have modifications to setbacks and uh, things like that, uh, that we encourage, that we uh, use so that we can protect trees, right? <clears throat> but um, again, ultimately, it's 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 that standard of uh, this is a regulation that you have to meet and can meet, and the distinction between uh, a property owner's right to develop as they see fit, um, and uh, how that is in conflict with what our ultimate goals are. So again, uh, long story short, there's a difference between what our actual codes are, our regulations, mm -hmm. and then what our goals are. We want to achieve the goals, but you know, as a property owner, you still have your rights to- I understand, uh, but you stated that the only way to achieve the goal of protecting additional trees on site is to reduce the number of cottage units by half. And my, my question is, uh, has not been answered is there is there another way um there could be another way maybe that's a poor language choice to be uh to be exhaustive in that way by saying only <laughs> there could have been a better language choice i guess there um there's lots of ways i mean you could you could in theory make a unit 500 square feet and squeeze them all together and there's no minimum unit size so yeah they're there are ways. Traffic survey shows areas with slopes of 15 to 40 percent and areas with slopes greater than 40 percent on the parcel. The site map shows that one part of the uh, elevation drops from 394 to 380 feet, a 14 foot drop in approximately 30 feet. The staff analysis says the applicant is compliant with the maximum allowed grade of 15 percent. <clears throat> Uh, this conclusion is not consistent with the map. The drop of 14 feet over a distance of 30 feet using the methodology I found on the USGS site results in a slope of 46%. I believe the pro appeals process should find that the staff analysis is arbitrary and capricious and should be revised. The plan set shows an access road to reach the eight houses with a proposed grade of 15%. There are parts of the site that are currently too steep to walk down, and the proposal does not indicate how grading will provide safe access. The proposed road has a very steep slope and appears to assume a great deal of magical thinking regarding the connection with driveways. My understanding of the staff analysis is that KZC113 does not list maximum grades for connections, so they did not address it. Again, this appears to ignore a very important design issue that will affect safety and stability of the site. On page seven of the staff analysis, it says the elevations transitions include retaining walls. And uh, I'll put up one other document, if I may. 
just have to move things around on my screen. <clears throat> so this is from a document entitled Watershed College, College Cottages Staff Report with Attachments <clears throat> that is in the record. As you'll see, my copy is not nearly as clear as Mr. Aldridge's, uh, probably just the way it downloaded. But if my cursor works here, you can see <clears throat> that there's an elevation 394 line here and an elevation 380 line here. So between these two retaining walls is a drop of 14 feet. I think it says, again, my copy's fuzzy here, <clears throat> but I think it says a five foot maximum height for the wall. If that's correct, that still leaves a nine foot drop between this retaining wall and that retaining wall which over 28 feet, I calculate to be about a 33% grade. So that's still pretty steep. And that's the common area. That's the common space that is supposed to be consistent with the, uh, with the ordinance. Um, <laughs> trying, to, trying to picture all the neighbors standing on that common space. Uh, well, uh, let me <clears throat> let, let you all think about that. Um, so I'm assuming the staff is relying on a grading, uh, regrading the site. Again, the geotechnical report assumed one house on the current flat part of the lot. A plan with significant regrading would be very different. This reinforces the need for an adequate geotechnical report based on actual design and the opportunity of the parties to review and comment on that report before any actions taken by the city. I think that's just required by, uh, by good due process. Uh, similarly, on hazardous sites, <clears throat> the site's classified as an erosion hazard area, a landslide hazard area, and a seismic hazard area. Doesn't sound like the best place for intensive de development. Part six has an attachment number one entitled Geotechnical Engineering Report that says, and I quote, <clears throat> these soils may experience severe to very severe erosion hazards when they occur on slopes greater than 15%. RGI did not observe any signs of severe, very severe erosion of the site. Well, right now there's nothing going on on the steep part. <clears throat> Again, there are slopes that currently exceed 40%. Now I'm not quoting, I ended the quote. Now, uh, slopes exceed 40%. And the proposal is very different than the single resident that was subject to the 2020 uh, study. A new accurate geotechnical report should address erosion, landslide, and seismic hazards on the site. The applicant should not be allowed to rely on a flawed 2020 geotech study. Elizabeth's and Matt's comments <clears throat> cover the design guidelines, but again, I just want to add one point and <clears throat> Mr. Albuck, just um, I know you'll review everything as part of your review, but I think uh, there are many, many guidelines that uh, appear to, to not be consistent. Um, Unknown color. So uh, let me <clears throat> so again, as I understand the guidelines, they envision a grouping of small houses around a common space. <clears throat> and that sounds pretty good and a good way to meet density goals. 
but the steepness of this site is not compatible with that concept. The so-called common area will uh, rely on this. This is the, the common area. So it's, it's a steep slope divided by a road. I don't think that's what people have in mind when they, they read the guidelines. Whether the front of the house or the patio faces the so-called common area, they will really be looking at either a high retaining wall or the top of their neighbor's house. Uh, again, I think this should be remanded back to the developer to develop something that's consistent with the, the city policy. I want to move, uh, I thought Sam did a fabulous job on the loss of trees. I, I just add two things and first by way of background, my wife's a landscape architect and she tells me that Douglas firs have shallow roots and that any tree is put at risk with any disturbance within the drip line. As Sam very clearly laid out, many of the structures not to mention the construction around the structures are within the drip lines. These trees are likely to die. And when they die, they may fall over and create a safety concern. My grandchildren's bedrooms are just north of several of these big trees. The city has a responsibility to address the safety issues for my grandchildren too. And again, you should remand this proposal back to the developer and the city to produce a new plan that protects more trees and is consistent with city policy. Given the climate crisis, protecting trees is more important than ever. A revised plan should not shift the burden onto the neighbors of, of the project, and it should not create safety concerns. I want to shift to impervious surfaces. The staff analysis of this issue says the subject property is within a level two flood control area, which is defined by King County Surface Water Design Manual, which generally means that stormwater flow after project developments must not exceed the pre-development condition. I'm also quoting, it says the applicant has provided a retention system to achieve the standard that will be reviewed during a land service modification process. So, and a quote, the current, let me stop sharing. Um, the, the current site is, has one house and 38 trees. Adding eight houses, a steep access road, and eight driveways and removing the trees will have a significant effect on water runoff in the area. The developer's own analysis on pages 4.2 and 4.3 of the stormwater drainage document shows very significant increases in the flow in cubic feet per second associated with the development. For example, the two-year period analysis shows a 19-fold increase in the East Basin. The 100-year uh, period analysis shows a 22-fold increase. We know climate change will increase the number of stronger storms with larger runoffs, allowing this kind of development is short-sighted and will impose higher costs on the community in the long run and perhaps danger to those uh, uh, current residents living below the site. The staff analysis says that the draining plan will be sufficient. <clears throat> you should require that the parties have an opportunity to review this analysis 
and comment on this issue. Uh, all we have right now is a very short analysis from the staff. Deferring this important safety issue to a later process appears to increase the liability risk to the city and the flood risk to the neighbors by pushing this issue down the road. For all the reasons described above, I believe you should remand the proposal back to the developer to address the issues we've raised and provide another opportunity for review and comment. Thank you. Mr. Sheets, you uh, mentioned in your uh, presentation of the geotech issues that there was a reference to, uh, I think, a peer review that, that wasn't made available to the public. Can you, can you identify where that reference was made? I just want to make sure staff can address that. So, so let me let me clarify that the 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 AESI report is in the document. So and and I I actually quoted from two key concerns that were in that document. As I read uh, Mr. Alger's memo, it seems to me, and I hope you'll correct me, seems to me that there was a subsequent review by AESI and subsequent revisions to address those concerns. But sir, I could not find that document and I have had no opportunity to review or comment on it. And it seems material uh, to a very important issue in this case. And so what I'm asking is, let's have a geotech report that's actually based on the proposal that is peer reviewed and have the, have the parties have an opportunity to review that and comment on it. Okay. That's just good due process. Okay. And and Mr. Aldrich, do you understand the references that Mr. Sheets is making about um, the undisclosed report? I do understand those references. Um, as you stated, AESI's uh, report was included um, with the enclosure one, which is the staff report for the conditional approval. Um, that is attachment. Just one second here. That is attachment fourteen of enclosure one. Um, <clears throat> now, subsequently, uh, the applicants consultant did submit a response to uh, those recommendations from ASI, which is attachment fifteen of enclosure one. Okay. And that was subsequently sent to AESI for confirmation that the response did satisfy those recommendations. And uh, I included that email as attachment 16 within enclosure. Okay. And the confirmation. Did, you have any, uh, did you have any questions of Mr. Sheets? Well, can I can I ask Mr. Aldrich? So uh, have, uh, I just want to make confirm that that the parties have not had a chance to review that subsequent response from AESI. Is that correct? No, um, no, it was included in the staff report. That response. Well, but but we can't. We haven't had an opportunity to comment on the record. I'm sorry, I don't follow, Mr. Sheets. Well, <clears throat> maybe I'm. Uh, and my understanding is that that was subsequent to the staff report. You're, you're saying it was in the staff report and I just didn't find it. Yes, it was the it was just an email correspondence basically showing that we had sent the update. Um, 
So again, but, but, but again, let me let me clarify. Okay, there was an email response. I did not have an opportunity to comment on that other than in the appeal process. Is that correct? Uh, you could always submit comments uh, that um, that we could include. Um, they wouldn't be uh, comments. Um, they wouldn't uh, allow you to be considered a an appellant to be eligible to appeal if they're not submitted within that initial public comment period or any official public comment period that we have. Um, but we don't open up additional uh, comment periods. You can submit and we can include it within the staff report, but we don't have, you know, we don't open up additional comment periods later. So that's, that's my that's my due process concern. Okay. Understood. And Mr. Aldridge, did you have any questions of Mr. Sheets? Yeah, and you're you're muted, Mr. Albert. By the way, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Albert. I don't have any questions. Um, that was uh, mostly just, I mean, that was a a reading of Mr. Sheets's comments that he submitted that were included in the meeting packets. Um, many of those those uh, concerns were addressed uh, earlier with my presentation and within the the meeting packet staff responses. I've just uh, one topic I will just mention here if I could share my screen is okay. Uh, just well, actually, I mean I, again, this is cross examination. Any <laughs> questions? Of, I mean, you'll have an opportunity to respond to all the comments made later in the hearing. So. I apologize for that. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll stop sharing. And then okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mr. Pudist, and on behalf of the oh, app, oh, oh, can I have one? Phil, one other. I'm looking at the staff report. David, can you put maybe up on the screen where this memo from AESI is? Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm somewhat able I mean, to review documents and uh, I'm not uh, I'm not finding an attachment 16. Okay um you'll have to it's in a few parts and I'll have to comb through it but I, I can get you uh, that page shortly. Is there, oh, sorry. Can you give me a hint? What what part? What what section? I mean I, I originally reviewed the staff report that was available before we filed this appeal. And that that's what I'm relying on. And I'm not, um, I'm sorry, I, maybe I'm just deficient, but I am not finding it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have it committed to memory. Right. I just have to look <laughs> look through here. Do you maybe want to look it up during the break, Mr. Aldridge? We're going to be taking a break here real soon. Yes, I can do that. Okay, sure. all right. And let me, uh, Ms. Lyons, you had, I want to, first of all, let me get to Mr. Pudis. Mr. Pudis, did you have any questions of uh, Mr. Sheets on behalf of the applicant? I, I had some items I could help him clarify some of his comments, but I, I bet that's more appropriate at the response okay. component. Yeah, yeah, that'll be for, yeah, yeah. We're just sticking to questions right now. Ms. Lyons, you had your, your hand raised? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if this was allowed, but I, I think based on all the attachments in the email, we're looking at about 500 pages of, of um, documents that uh, the appeal on, uh, the people appealing this are lay people that are not professionals in this line of work. And so we've had to review um, 500 pages multiple times in order to do this appeal. So I just don't know if that's possible to go on the record of, of this isn't 
it, this takes significant time for the citizens that are trying to um, just uh, 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 protect ourselves um, from a public safety concern um, that we don't we don't get paid for this. This isn't our line of work, but it is um, Mr. Granger's line of work and, and, and the city of Kirkland's job to do this. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, understood. Thanks. Well, let, let's take our break till 1130 and we'll be back. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I also, I want to comment, you know, I, I, I'm a pediatric nurse. I have a day job. I, I plan to get back to work at noon. Um, I'm not sure what the, what the situation is if we're allowed to uh, plan a second day of discussion. Um, ultimately, I did not block past noon to be able to continue this no. discussion. I assumed it would be about an hour and not uh, three plus. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, and, and as you're planning, I also have I also have a day job. I have a meeting starting at 1230. Wow. OK. Um, yeah, I guess we can uh, um, continue this until tomorrow once we hit noon. If that does that. No, work? that doesn't work either. I uh, okay. I was able to plan this in two weeks notice barely, but I oh. actually normally require 90 days advance to not to often not be at work. Um, so I'm curious if we can find a different day in the coming weeks. Okay. Well, I think that uh, is in conflict with um, our deadlines that we have to meet per code, which is, uh, I believe it's 90 days right. for a decision yeah. from the yeah. time of appeals. Where, what, where are we in that 90 day time period right now? Oh, I'd have to check my dates here. Um, I mean, I, I think I gave you about two weeks clearance uh, to get it out. Um, just give me a second. Okay, so. <clears throat> I mean, if we could take decision. a short, if we can take a short break, I can probably make it to twelve thirty. But past that, we're going to have to find a different day to continue. Okay. Well, like uh, Mr. Well, Alder said, state law, we have to get that decision out in ninety days. So we're uh, we're just trying to figure out how much time we have actually at this point. Yeah, we're looking at a decision by August twenty third, distribution by August twenty seventh. So okay, all right. Well, as I said, let's take that. Um, I mean, I, I think we're fairly close to being done anyway, aren't we? Or should maybe we can skip the, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Ms. Lyons, did you have any other speakers on behalf of the uh, appellants at this point? Um, Mr. Taylor, did you have other things you would want to say? I know that you had commented briefly on trees, but I didn't know I'm, if you I'm still other. here. I, I had some questions that I was, I was saving until my appointed time that I was going to yeah. talk with Mr. Aldridge about specifically the, the roles between the city and the developer and, and goals versus regulations, which were brought up before, but I was waiting to hold my my questions um, until the appropriate time. I have a similar concern about work. Okay. Yeah. yeah, let's get as far, I guess let's skip the break. Let's get as far as we can. And then, uh, you know, when we get close to noon, we'll, we'll try to figure out what we can do. But um, uh, yeah, the 23rd is coming up pretty quick. So um, anyway, Let's see. We were. Uh, let's see. Any any other anyone else on the appellant team at this point wanted to say something? Who had been part of Miss Lyons' appeal? All right. Then I think we can finally move on then to the applicant. And Mr. Putis, did you want to say something on behalf of the applicant at this point? 
just want to respond to some of the items raised. That yeah, let me swear in, Mr. Pudis. Just to raise your and and you do realize yeah. your video is not on. You don't need to have it on. But I just wanted to let you know in case you were here. Trying to turn it on. I'm having a technical difficulty okay. here. But I, uh, da, 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 da. I don't want to waste time. Is it okay to not have video on? No, no, you don't need it. Yeah. Just uh, raise your right hand. You swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding. I, I do. Okay, great. Go ahead. Um, so there were a variety of items raised uh, by the appellants. And I, I think that uh, Mr. Aldridge had, had provided a written response for the record. Uh, Blue Line uh, Group, who, who I work, uh, I'm, a, I'm a principal of the Blue Line Group. We provided a, a response to the uh, appellants uh, items, which incorporated input from the Project Arborist, who's a certified arborist, as well as the Project Geotech. And I just want to point point out that those things are in the record as attachments, I think that everybody has access to right now. So uh, more of just a statement, I guess, if you will. Um, but I'd like to touch on some of the geotech related items. I think uh, uh, Mr. Sheets raised some of them as did they were echoed by others. But uh, during Mr. Sheets's uh, uh, presentation, I heard him talk, he pulled up a, a picture of a uh, one of the original plans uh, and it had a single house and he mentioned it was a single house and the rest of the site wasn't developed. It, it, it was a single house with a 50% graded access road down to a detention vault and it disturbed a very significant proportion of the site. So um, it, it was a little inaccurate how he may have described that it. it was one house and the rest was undeveloped. I just wanted to point that out for the record. Um, Mr. Sheets also referenced a memo, January 29, 2021 memo from uh, RGI, the geotech, that uh, he mentioned that it, it referenced one picture of the site plan. The letter itself starts out, it says it has reviewed uh, uh, multiple pages. I think it was CBO1, a grading plan, a uh, tree plan, et cetera. So it, it, RGI did say that they had reviewed, uh, I think it was four sheets. Uh, uh, as part of their review. And so when they were comparing the original development of the house access road and vault to the uh, current proposal of eight cottages and access road and a vault, uh, they did reference more than just one picture. Uh, and they did find that their uh, conclusions did not change. If I could interrupt real quick, Brett, just to add on that so I don't have to repeat later. Uh, the the, the uh, grading plan was mentioned in AESI's report, uh, peer review report as well uh, as being reviewed. So. Okay. Um, and then the the other element I, I just wanted to point out, I think I mentioned it earlier, but the, the uh, RGI did provide a letter as part of the uh, appeal process saying that, yes, they did indeed review the um, eight unit uh, project and their, and their uh, recommendations do not change. And they also mentioned the word liquefaction. They also had said that there were not concerns about liquefaction in that response. So. From a geotech standpoint, the professionals did weigh in on the original development as well as the modifications along the way uh, to get to the final conclusions in their final reports. Um, the, uh, there was mention of 15% road grades being too steep. That's a commonly accepted uh, road grade. I'm a civil engineer in the state of Washington, and, and that's used in many, many places in Western Washington. Uh, it's, it's even uh, used by fire trucks and garbage trucks and whatnot. So it's pretty typical to see a 15% road grade. Uh, on a site. Um, and Mr. Sheets also pointed out some grades in the common open space area. And uh, I don't 
have the grading plan right in front of me, but when I, when he had it on the screen, and maybe Mr. Alders, you could pull up the grading plan he was looking at and zoom in on that that uh, open space area. But there are walls on the uphill side and the downhill side of the open space area. And uh, if we if we pull up the picture here, I think there's only about a two foot vertical drop across the open space area itself. So that the developer did uh, propose to install walls at a cost to flatten out the grades that was going to be uh, for the common open space area. So sometimes it's hard to see all the lines on the on the paper. Um, yeah, and if you if you see on the uh, uh, that was perfect, uh, uh, Mr. Eldridge. Uh, but if you see on the left-hand side of uh, of the common open space area, there's a line representing 386, and on the right-hand side of the open space area, there's a line representing a 388 contour. So there's about two feet of drop across the open space, and, and we did that intentionally to make it more usable. Um, I, I'm trying to kind of keep it quick here, but uh, while, while you've got that slide up, can I just ask then? With the retaining walls, though, you got a uh, no, uh, Mr. Sheets. Let's uh, let's save the cross examination for the cross examination. Okay. Which is Thanks. When, yeah, when Mr. Peters is done with his presentation, then you'll have a chance. Then, yeah. The grades in the retaining walls do vary as you move along the length of the retaining wall. So, in one place, one place it might be five feet, and another place it might be four, three, two, one, zero, just stepping down to match grade. But we can we can talk about that later if you like. Um, I, I did hear from, uh, I think, uh, three of you about concerns related to trees and, and, uh, and the arborist uh, provided info. So we, the applicant did hire a certified arborist uh, who is certified, um, I don't know the, her process, but she listed it in her response that she provided along with the, uh, the, the blue line response that was submitted in July 2022. And she's a professional. She studies trees. She, she uh, understands what the industry standard is. And she provided recommendations on what could be saved and what couldn't be saved. And I believe the city had indicated that uh, as construction starts, she would provide an additional assessment as construction activities um, occur adjacent to or within the drip line of some of the trees to be saved. So um, just wanted to point out that that, that 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 would be the industry standard is to have the arbors go out and look at it as things are being uh, uh, built. And if there is a something that leads her to believe it's an unsafe condition, she would then earmark the tree to be removed um, and it, and uh, that is the process uh, that, that I've been privy to for the last 23 years, if you will, uh, of doing this line of work. Um, and again, she did re provide responses. She to Arbors did re provide responses to each of the appellant's true related comments, uh, and that's part of the record. Uh, two other items I'll try to go really quick on. Uh, the storm system, I did hear concerns about a, a, a 20 fold, or, or maybe I'm, I'm not getting the fold right, but a multiple fold increase in the stormwater runoff from the site. It is true when you convert trees to paved areas, you do get an increase in runoff. However, uh, the pre adopted storm code and the uh, preliminary storm design provided with this submittal, uh, what it does is it collects the runoff from the developed portion of the site, it puts it in a huge underground structure. That uh, that then holds the water and re releases it at a at a rate that is at or below the calculated existing rates of runoff from the site based on existing conditions. So the downstream system will not see an increase in runoff over the current conditions out there today. That is per the adopted code, and that was what was provided in the preliminary storm drainage report. And it will also be uh, further documented uh, as part of the, the LSM plans. Um, Traditionally, there's a preliminary design, and if there's any small amount of changes, it gets then uh, collected 
uh, or not collected address in the final design, which is more the construction level documents, if you will, that get provided at the LSM stage. So the underground stormwater facility is akin to just taking a huge bucket, letting water go into the bucket and then poking a small hole in the bucket so that it releases the, the collected runoff at a very slow rate, again, to mimic the existing conditions. So just wanted to point that out, that it is being managed per adopted code. And then the, the last item I wanted to touch on is I did hear there was uh, a couple times there was a, or a reference to um, the applicant receiving special treatment or maybe some other neighbors had to jump through hoops and but the, but the applicant didn't. Uh, I, I heard, I think, uh, Ms. Lyons on the call had said there are 500 pages of stuff here to look at. Well, that's that's not a small hoop, right? So we've been working on this job for multiple years. It's It's been studied since... Uh, prior to 2018, I believe, the application for the eight-unit development was submitted in early 2021. It took, you know, more than a year to get that application processed, a lot of back and forth, a lot of response to community input, uh, a lot of response to city comments. Um, the, uh, the idea that there's special treatment there, it, it, it doesn't seem appropriate and it, it doesn't seem accurate. So. Um, that, that's all I wanted to take the time to say, um, and that, that was the point was trying to respond to some of the questions. Okay. And Mr. Putis, before we get to cross-examination of you, I just wanted to clarify your background. You said you're a civil engineer. Could you maybe real quick go into your, your expertise, training, and qualifications correct. to render opinions about stormwater, that kind of thing? Yeah, correct. So uh, uh, I'm a licensed, licensed professional engineer in the state of Washington, so professional engineer. Uh, my background is civil engineering. My, I got my license in 2001 and have been practicing uh, uh, land development related uh, items uh, primarily from 2001 on. I did so earlier from 1997 to 2001, but I didn't have my license at that point, which is which is part of the uh, uh, educational and experience background is you have to you have to gain experience, pass some tests, obtain a license, and then you can pr uh, practice as a professional engineer. So. I've been doing this stuff for 23 plus years. So. Okay, thanks. Stormwater is something that comes up on every project, and I'm, I'm very familiar with the process. So. Great, thank you, Mr. Sheets. You had questions. Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Curtis. You, you referenced the the Geotech report, the 2020 report, and on page 35, it did say that it reviewed a preliminary plan uh, for eight houses. You didn't read the rest of it, which concluded, quote. RGI should complete a plan review of the final watershed cottage plan set when it's completed. Uh, do, you do, do you dispute that quote? Uh, I do not dispute that quote, but I understand the context that that was placed in. And so what, what happens is they review the preliminary design, which is a high level uh, uh, design showing the uh, intended development of the of the project, as well as summarizing their uh, subsurface explorations and geotechnical recommendations. And those documents do not allow construction. Those allow the uh, preliminary land use approval permitting to proceed. Uh, that sentence at the end is uh, in nearly all geotech reports I have seen where they review the preliminary design, but then they carve out the ability to review the construction level documents, which is the final design, at a later date to ensure that uh, what, when the, before the uh, construction equipment hits the site, that they have had a chance to look at what is going to happen out there. So there's a prelim uh, assessment evaluation, 
And then there's the opportunity to look at the construction level documents that come later after the prelim is approved. So just, just to be clear, there has been no subsequent complete new geotech report on the actual plan set. Um, I, I cannot remember if they have looked at the uh, land surface modification plan set that we have submitted. I know, I know that they have looked at the, the preliminary stuff and we're fine with it, but we don't, do not have an approved LSM permit in hand. So if to the extent that additional review is required, they certainly will do it before the permit is issued and construction is allowed to continue. But, but again, my question is, there's no, uh, if you didn't, they didn't do a new geotech report on the actual design. Uh, they reviewed the preliminary design, which is the subject of this appeal, and they concluded that the recommendations they provided in their in their original report were consistent with, uh, it, it would apply to both the single home uh, site plan as well as the eight unit site plan. They, they did state that in right. So I think your answer is no. So then you, you referenced- They concluded that the, the, their conclusions are appropriate for the eight unit uh, development, which is, which is, I guess, yes. They did mm -hmm. review it and they looked at it and they said, yes, it is appropriate. But they didn't do a new plan or, or new study. So moving to your clarification on the open space, I appreciate that. And again, the documents that are available to the parties are not clear enough to read all of the, the elevations that we've had a chance to now see from Mr. Aldridge's slide. But again, it looks like retaining walls of four, five, six feet. I know in a recent process my daughter was involved in, the hoop, she had to do a geotech report for a wall that was gonna be about three feet. Uh, the, the geotech report that was done in 2020 did not look at the retaining walls that are in the new plan. Is that correct? I, I haven't reviewed that uh, geotech report in quite some time, but it's well. Uh, of course, it didn't. It was on. It was for one house. It was for one house, not eight houses with retaining walls. I, I don't think it's a hard question. I, I think what happens is when the construction level of detail is provided, a final design those walls is provided and that's exactly the process that occurs well okay but then has, has have the parties have a chance to, to review anything in detail on this subject on the technical uh, uh detail on, on any revised analysis of this uh eight house plan you know you just you stapled an eight eight house plan on a 2020 study for a one house plan that's your opinion. and that's all we've had a chance to review and you know if, if we had a if we had an accurate plan uh, we might even retain our own hydrogeologist and be a lot smarter on this but you know it, it's it's the due process here is very frustrating okay and again mr sheets just questions not argument at this point did you have any other questions uh, I guess uh, just on the, um, he, he talked about runoff, I, I guess in your professional opinion with climate change, uh, with the current uh, situation has a hundred year period of about a 22 fold increase in flows and your professional judgment with climate change, do you expect that to go up?
the documentation of climate change is beyond the scope of this of this uh, hearing. Um, it's it's there's two sides of the campus. Say one side says it's real, one side says it's not. What we did do is we provided a storm drainage design that meets the currently adopted code, and I think it's appropriate for this site. Well, I don't think that's a responsive answer, but I'll leave that to the hearing examiner. Okay, is that it, Mr. Sheets? Uh, I guess so. No, thank you for your questions. Anyone else have any questions of Mr. Pudis at this point? Okay, and Mr. Pudis, are you the uh, sole representative here today for the applicant? Was there anyone else here on behalf of the applicant that uh, wanted to say something? I understand um, he wasn't able to make it, so I'm speaking on his behalf. Okay, great. Thank you, sir, for participating. All right, so now finally we can get to the um, um, non-appellate presentations. That would be Mr. Taylor and anyone else who has submitted written comments on this application and is not part of the appellant team. Mr. Taylor, let me um, swear in, I guess. You swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I do. Okay, great. Go ahead. Hey, so um, I'm. am I allowed to ask questions and have a dialogue during this part? Yeah, I mean, it would have been preferable. I mean, the cross-examination should be right after the person does their presentation, but since that was unclear, if you got questions of Mr. Aldridge or anybody, go ahead. Okay, yeah, primarily, um, I, I think I just need to understand a couple things that were spoken of indirectly um, as other issues were raised. Um, and I, I suppose probably these are mostly for Mr. Aldridge. Um, you spoke a couple times during, um, as you were answering questions, about the the process that you go through in order to approve projects and how that there's there's the regulations as they're written and there's the goals that the city of kirkland has and um they don't necessarily always mesh with each other i think was the implication um you know you have some stated goals and then sometimes the regulations don't support those goals was what i sort of was reading between the lines but i don't know for sure um so i guess I have a couple questions just to try to understand how that works. So for example, um, in, a, in a case like this where a high percentage of the, the trees on the property are being removed, does the city of Kirkland have standing to stop a project based on its goals? For example, if, if you, you and the people of the city determined that, that there were just too many trees that were removed by whatever standards that you have, could you, insist that the developer revise their plans? I would say we do have methods, again, like the modification to zoning standards that allow us to um, make and request changes that will support retention of trees. Sure. Um, but again, it's just, I mean, these are, these, um, these goals, you know, are written in such a way that, uh, Again, like we want to retain retain as many trees to the maximum extent possible. That statement's been repeated. There's no hard and fast standard that says there that, for example, we must retain ninety percent of the trees. Um, or sure. you know, so there's discretion in there. And again, it's a goal. Uh, it's just not. It's not a hard rule that we have to do this, this, this. This right. is what we shall do. So got it. So it, it, am I correct in understanding that? the goal of increasing housing density is similar. That is, there is no hard and fast rule. It's a judgment call. You have to have some discretion when you're making a decision on whether a project is appropriate based on the total set of circumstances and um, 
what's being decided? Is that, is yes. That right? uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tr say that we are being discretionary about what's appropriate. You know, you have allowed uses within a district within the zone, zoning district and regulations associated with that allowed use. We also have, you know, statements of purpose and intent and goals that we use to supplement those. But ultimately, um, you only have to meet the hard regulations, the codified rules. Oh, okay, so, I, okay, I, I got, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> uh, if I could give you an example, a goal is to retain as many trees as possible. Sure. A rule is that you have to submit the tree retention plan in our report as part of your application. Sure. Uh, no, I, 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 I understand that. I, I guess um, what, I, what I don't understand is the, the goals and regulations as they pertain to this project, at what point does something like <clears throat> the density of housing that is allowed on a particular zone or the number of trees that are removed in a particular zone change from a rule to um, a, a development goal? Like, I, I, can, can you help me understand like where that is? Like, because it, se it seems like what I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, that there is some amount of discretion, which is what I would expect when a project like this is um, being developed where people have to you know make trade-offs between various things i'd like it I'd, like all that's totally understandable so I, what i'm trying to understand is is the number of houses and the number of trees being removed where is the discretionary line there or are you just telling me there is no discretionary line and that there's some other process by which standards are met do, do you see what i'm am i am i being clear i'm trying <laughs> i think so um so give me a second here right, so we um i would say that we don't really have the authority written in the code to limit density uh given on how the tree regulations are designed um, as far as the devil in the density that was codified, I believe those it started in 2002, was codified in 2004. So uh, the code that's applicable to the former uh, Houghton districts uh, that has been on the books for close to 20 years or was until sunset. Um, and both the goals, uh, tree retention and uh, the creation of more housing units are stated within the comprehensive plan and the basis of all zoning is the comprehensive plan. Um, okay. So. Okay. So I, I think I think I understand what you're saying, which is effectively that the the goals don't really have any procedural weight, other than the fact that you develop zoning codes from them, and the zoning codes are what are then used to determine whether something will be approved or not. Yes, the zoning codes have to be in accordance with the comprehensive plan. Right, but the but the the goals that are included in like the city's code book, I don't I don't know what it's called. Zoning code. Um, th those don't have like procedural weight to them, other than they inform what the actual zoning codes are. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, I think that's a that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, again, there's just a distinction between what the actual regulations are and what our yeah. goals and intents are. Okay, so last question, just to, to find, finish my like understanding of this. So if I, as a citizen, want to remove trees on my property, um, I have to go and get a permit for that tree removal in accordance with the zoning codes. Yes. Okay. And it, and as I understand it, there's some amount of like, you know, boy, I, you know, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but as I understand it, there's, there's some amount of tree removal that I am a, a allowed to do based on the codes as they're written. Yes. And then if I, you're given an allowance based on, sorry, annually, you're given an allowance of tree removals that is based on your lot size. Okay. Um, but there must be some other code that I don't know about that allows me to exceed that number that the, this project the, owner is leveraging. Can yes, you explain that to me? Yes, you're absolutely correct. There's a distinction between tree retention and tree removal um, within the development process versus outside of the development process. Um, In other words, if, if I were to decide to build a new house on my property, I would be given more leverage to make large scale changes to the foliage and topography on the land than if I'm simply wanting to take trees down while not changing the building? I won't say that you'd be, I wouldn't characterize this as you're given more leverage, just that there is, uh, when you are redeveloping a property, um, those improvements carry with them they, they, it makes it difficult to retain trees. I mean, it's just, they, they go hand in hand. If you're building a property, developing a home, and all the improvements that go along with it, that it's gonna be in direct conflict with retaining trees. If you are saying that you wanna get, you're not developing your property and you simply want to get rid of a tree because you don't like it, um, then that there's a, there's a higher standard for removing the tree uh, when you're not developing the property. If you're a property owner, you have a right to develop it as you see fit. That often involves removing trees. So okay. different set of regulations. Okay, I think I, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, so it turns out I have one more question. I apologize. I know I said this about that. Um, can you can you help me understand as a as a neighbor to the project? Um, what kind of regulations will help me control the border? That is 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 definitely going to be radically altered with this project. As, as I said, you know, like I, I'm looking at the border of our property right now and it's, it's a thick, dense forest. I can't see anything. There's trees upon trees upon trees. Obviously, we would like to retain as much of that feeling as possible. Um, is, it, is it past the point where I can have any influence on that because I haven't engaged with the process correctly? I'm just looking for like a clean, like actual answer to this. Cause like, if I don't need to spend time on this, <laughs> I'll, I'll move on. If there's something that I can do to potentially like have more trees saved there, um, I would love to do that. Um, <clears throat> well, I'd start by saying that we certainly are limited in what we could do to um, what we can require. I should say, mm -hmm. as far as limiting the work you can do on your property to 
retain or encourage private property on another property. So um, which a tree, it would be your own private property, your private yeah. tree. So yeah. we're limited in what we can and how that can impact you. Um, sure. Since we've updated the code, we required that uh, you have to inform the, we have to have, we can require assessments from a qualified arborist and the requirement that you inform um, the neighbor that the work you do can impact the tree. Um, but we simply don't have the teeth in the code to tell you that you cannot develop your properties to see fit. The code updates that you just referred to, it might understand <laughs> that they, they came into effect after this project. Yes. And, and therefore they, they aren't actually applicable to the current watershed development. Is that right? So what, 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 the reason you bring it up is because you're saying, look, we are making improvements. We, we get that these are concerns and we've made these changes. Having said that, they were made after the appropriate time for this particular project. And so they don't actually help us at the moment. Is that accurate? I wouldn't say appropriate time. I mean, it just took place after. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So then it, it seems like for, for my own interest, obviously the, the issues in the the bullet points that people have raised, I, I certainly have interest in, although in, in at least a couple of cases, I, I found the responses satisfactory. So the primary thing that I would um, want to understand is, is, you know, like what is the shared border going to look like and, and what are we going to do? It looks like there's one shared tree, maybe two that are specifically called out um, that, you know, we would certainly like to keep. Um, it seems like the plan um, leaves room for those, those being killed accidentally during development if that's the case do we have standing to insist that other things be put in their place you know i, I guess i just kind of those are that's kind of where i'm at at the point Could you just clarify what you mean by other things put in their place well so um i think the way that the the engineer described the arborist process is that mm -hmm. you know it's been it's been reviewed um they have they, they've decided to take out some number of trees there are certainly secondary trees that aren't going to be intentionally removed, but where engineering may damage them to the point where they become a hazard and therefore they would need to be removed. Um, it seems like, and you know, then, then, you know, you all being good people, you would remove them to avoid trees falling on us. Um, so if, if that were to happen with the shared trees that we have on our border, um, as a, as a, as sort of a downstream effect of the, um, development, um, it, it seems like we would then have some kind of negotiation or engagement as to how we would replace or uh, compensate us in some manner for the trees that were lost. Is, is there a process for, for that? And, and can you explain how that works, if so? That is what we're getting at when, uh, in the response when we talk about it being civil matter, that being a hands-off process for us. So uh, we can't, if it's yeah. shared. It's like it's, if my current neighbor goes and kills my tree, what do I do about it? Right. You're saying the city, the city basically is like, look, you know, you have to sue them or discuss with them how to solve it. We don't tell you have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that matters yeah, okay. completely offhand, hands off for us. Um, yeah. We simply can't just say that you can remove the tree because uh, it's not totally your property within the subject property for which we're authorizing work. Yeah. So we can't, but I mean, ultimately, if it is negatively impacted enough, it will 
uh, the treaty will fail. So, I mean, it's, it's, but it's just that we can't authorize that. And we required as a condition of this, even though it wasn't in, uh, it wasn't codified at that point, but as a condition of this approval, we can curate conditions for these approvals. We did require that they do those assessments and inform you if they're, if they do determine that. Their IRIS stated that they're confident that they can retain the trees. Um, they would, I believe they're going to use air, uh, sort of uh, air excavation and other methods uh, to mm -hmm. try to protect the root systems of the trees. Um, but that's that's all we can require. Okay, thank you. And that concludes my questions for the time. Okay, and Mr. Pudis, you had your hand raised there. Yeah, I, I, one thing that wasn't touched on is there are uh, replanting requirements that, so when the trees are removed, there's a certain amount of trees that are replanted out there. And so, uh, the presumption, you know, one, there is a tree retention, or uh, excuse me, replanting plan that is part of the plenary approval. So I think 24 more trees do get planted in strategic places that will uh, be in a good spot to grow well over time. And I would imagine, and David, correct me if I'm wrong, if there's a, a tree on a shared line that ends up being removed, it's, is, is there then replacement trees required? That, that's what I want to there, yeah, there will be an opportunity for applicant rebuttal to, uh, and uh, that would be the time to bring up this kind of information. And I'll go over that in just a second. And Mr. Sheets, we are past the appellant comments at this point. Did you have a question or something of Mr. Taylor? Or oh, you're muted. Sorry, Mr. Sheets. Well, uh, well, before before we lose our our slot, I know Mr. Aldridge was going to try to find the the memo and uh, the one page response on that peer review. I did look through the six parts that were sent out just a few days ago <clears throat> i did find the memo from mr aldridge asking for a response on the <clears throat> on the comments on the peer review i found then what he attached was a <clears throat> document from and this is on page 100 of the pdf in part six for the record a blue line memorandum that notes in an initially that <clears throat> rockeries and retaining walls may be a maximum of four feet high uh, in a required yard. That's the city standard. <clears throat> there, well, let, let's uh, I mean, just because we, we need to try to wrap this up today, if we can, Mr. Alders, did you find that yet, or or maybe that's something you can identify in your um, in the rebuttal? I, I think what I'm going to do when we get to the, near the end here is is just to have written rebuttal. If that works with the parties, and that way we can just do that over the next few days and get the uh, this hearing wrapped up today. But uh, okay, I need to I need to go. So okay, that's, as long as I'm in the loop as far as what happens after this, whether I go to another meeting sure. or written rebuttal, that will be sufficient for my purposes. Thank you, okay, everyone, thanks. for your time and yeah, and thank you. all your efforts. Thanks. Yeah. Y yes, I'm. Um, yeah, I'm happy to include that in a written rebuttal. Okay. Include the page number from the attachments and okay. All the okay, so we'll get that to you, Mr. Sheets. Yeah, what, what he finds there. So um, let's see. And I think Mr. Uh, we got Mr. Bosworth had his hand up. For Mr. Bosworth, did you? Was there something you wanted to say? Yeah. Can you hear me now, Phil? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks. You know, I just wanted to circle back to the, to the traffic issue one more time. And, and David, okay. uh, and, and Mr. Bosworth, have I sworn you in? I don't recall if I got you before. I, I don't think so. Okay. No. Did I raise your right hand? You swear for him, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I swear. Okay, great. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to circle back to the traffic issue. And David talked to this. He said that the, 
City of Kirkland wasn't aware of any traffic accidents or any issues with waste management, basically the garbage trucks or large trucks on the street. But I, I did want to say that those incidents have occurred. I'm aware of accidents and issues with uh, garbage trucks on the street. We, I live here, and so I deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis. I live uh, at the dead end street on the turnaround. And so I've, I've um, and so some of these accidents have happened. They might not uh, be reported to the city and maybe the city doesn't have any formal knowledge of them, but there are accidents that have happened on this street. I've personally had to uh, pull large trucks out of the ditch uh, using my truck because they can't make it around the turnaround when other people are parked there. Um, and so those, and, and I consider that an incident. Um, I mean, that, that damages the ditch and, and the trucks. And so there, there's been damage in those cases. And then I've also uh, uh, been on the recipient of complaints by the, the garbage truck drivers. Um, they'll come to my door because I'm at the end of the street when they can't make it around the turnaround. And so I'm bringing these issues out because the, uh, you know, permitting a, a, eight, a cottage development is gonna exasperate all these problems. Um, and, and so my quality of life and the quality of life of everybody that lives on the street is going to decline. Also that Darren Granger can uh, have a profitable uh, project. So um, that's, that's kind of one of my complaints. And Elizabeth spoke to this earlier. It's just the sheer volume of people that have said the same thing about traffic and incidents. Uh, there's over 50 people that signed this letter. And then oh, at least a hundred more people that are pedestrians on this street that said that they wish that they had signed it. And so I, I find that when, I, as I read through these staff responses, um, I just find that they're not adequate and that they don't address the sheer volume of people who've said the same thing. And that they're also based on a few staff visits out here. There's been no formal study that I'm aware of. And I think David uh, spoke to this, is that a formal study is, is not required. Um, but you've got, you know, you've got over 100 people telling you that there's traffic problems on the street already and that an eight cottage development is going to make those worse. And uh, you're, you're really, you're ignoring that input from a lot of people that live here every day. I live here every day. Um, and so, so I find that some of these staff responses, I, I, I just am getting a chance to review them or I find them a little bit flippant and um, it, it kind of makes me angry as I read through them. Um, just the, the, the lack of care that the city of Kirkland went through to characterize and study traffic patterns on the street and, and see what the, what the impacts of this large development are going to be. So that's a, kind of a, a statement, and, and I'll, I'll close it there. Thanks for letting okay, me speak. Thanks, Mr. Bosworth. Uh, anyone else and, and who wanted to speak that was uh, not part of the appellant team and, and but submitted written comments? All right, and uh, now let me, before we get back to Ms. Lyons, so I, what, what I'm thinking, so now we're back to the uh, rebuttal stage and closing argument stage of the hearing. And it, it, you know, in order to complete this hearing today, like I said, we could do this uh, in writing. I mean, the, the order I would do it in is uh, first the city staff, then the applicant, then the uh, appellants, because they get final works they have the burden of proof. And uh, Mr. Aldridge would have the option of either doing it verbally today or in writing and because, and then the recording would be made available to the applicant and appellant to uh, provide their written comments at, at a later date. So uh, that way we can wrap this up in the next few days. Mr. Aldridge, would you have a, do you have any problem with doing it that way? And would you prefer to do it verbally or in writing today? 
in the interest of all the appellant's time, I'm happy to submit it in writing. Um, okay. I just need a, a deadline from you to make sure that. It, yeah, that yeah. Like, like I said, I mean, if you if you did it verbally, we could give the recording of this proceeding to the applicant and appellant, so they they wouldn't be prejudiced at all. It's just that you would be prejudiced because you have to do it off the top of your head, and everyone had time to write it down. So, but yeah, if you want to do it in writing, let's say uh, um, yours would be due next Tuesday. Is that give you enough time? That's more enough time. Okay. Say. All right. And. Uh, uh, let's see. We'll see the applicant, Mr. P Mr. Putis, get get you uh, by Thursday. Next Thursday. Yeah, that'd work for me. Thank you. And so then the appellants, you would have the opportunity to submit yours, I think, by the following Monday. So uh, looking at the calendar here, uh, Mr. Aldrich, your your uh, rebuttal evidence and closing would need to be submitted, emailed to all the parties um, by uh, 5 p.m. on August 9th. And then Mr. Putis on behalf of the applicant, 5 p.m. on August 11th. And then Ms. Lyons on behalf of the appellants, 5 p.m. on August 15th. And, uh, and then Mr. Aldridge, you were saying the, uh, the, the due date is the 23rd for the 90 days, is that right? Just check my sheet here. So we're looking at the 23rd for the decision and the 27th for the distribution. Okay. And uh, uh, listen to me out. Mr. Peters is okay if I get that decision out on the 29th instead, given how we're doing this. There's a lot of information to look at there. That's fine with me. Yeah. Okay, great. Yes, applicant is uh, consents to uh, a little late. And I'll actually, I'll try to get it in earlier, but there's a lot of information there. And, and Mr. Aldridge, real quick, uh, question on vesting here. There, over the last few years, there's been some recent case law that says the only permits that vest are building permits and subdivision applications. Beyond that, unless a local code provides for vesting, there is no vesting of ordinances, which means that this uh, later adopted uh, tree retention ordinance would apply to this project if it, if it didn't, if the Kirkland Code doesn't have a vesting procedure or the cottage house. Now, the cottage housing, that, that's one thing I hadn't looked at really closely, is the cottage housing, is that some kind of a a preliminary plat application as well, or what, 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 what are we looking at there? Is that kind of a PUD? What's, what's the nature of that development? Um, well, it's more of a, um, it's just a zoning permit. Yeah. Um, not unlike what you'd be doing if you were building, you know, multiple, like a multifamily development. Okay, so it's a site plan kind of thing. Yeah, it's more of a site plan, but we require pretty much everything we need to do a full zoning yeah. review with the conditional approval. Right. See, and I, I know the case law and site plan review is site plan doesn't vest. So I'm kind of curious how Kirkland came up with the position that, that, that uh, this project is vested. I mean, we're, has there well, been a building permit filed with this application or? There has been a building permit. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's so, going to not a building, building but a land service modification permit and permit for the detention vaults. So building non-occupied yeah. permit for the detention vault. I mean, what you're saying now, I'm not going to have to confer with uh, city attorney's office. On yeah, if you exactly maybe could address that and put that in the uh, in your rebuttal, because I'm key. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if the, if the Kirkland Code says it's best, that's good enough. But I don't mm -hmm. think that, uh, you know, a grading permit or land modification permit 
provides for vesting anymore under current case law. So that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. yeah. And for the other parties, that's an important issue because, uh, um, you know, if that new tree retention ordinance does apply to this project, that could change things a little bit and require more retention. But so, yeah, I just want to make sure, you know, uh, you know, the T's are crossed and I's dotted on that on that particular issue. So, um, all right. And uh, Ms. Lyons, I'm sorry, I know you had your hand raised, but I've, you know, I've been kind of trying to rush so you can get to work. <laughs> so what was yeah, it? No, I mean, I was just curious if we weren't going to do rebuttals, if there was a way to sort of closing comments. Oh, but, yeah. Um, and that'll yeah. be in the writing then. So that'll be in writing. Okay. Okay. Perfect. All right then. Well, um, yeah, I appreciate all the hard work everyone's put into this. I, I know for lay people, it is really difficult. Five hundred pages is is a lot of information to go through, including myself even. And that, that's why I was asking for that two weeks to write up that decision because I look at all this information very closely. Uh, usually, I'll have the hearing transcribed even, you know, to make sure that I address all your comments. And I mean, there there are a lot of general questions about you know the the limits on authority of of staff that kind of thing. Thing, and I'll be sure to address that in the in the in the um, uh, decision as well. I mean, uh, I've dealt a few times with the, the tree issue. I mean, believe it or not, the way that it, it's it's really dicey issue because the way the courts look at it, believe it or not, is that the tree roots are trespassing when they're going to adjoining property, and therefore it's not fair to limit development on the basis of someone's trespass. You know, but at the same time, the courts haven't addressed well what happens if you rip all these roots out and these trees end up falling on the neighbor's house? I mean, there has to be some accountability there. And I, the courts haven't really addressed that. And I, I think Kirkland is kind of trying to find that reasonable middle ground where they're saying you have to notify the adjoining property owner. And that's that's how it's dealt with, um, uh, you know. And and uh, as I said, I mean, the, the criteria here are really broad. You know, you have to be compatible, has to meet public health, safety, and welfare. But the, the downside to that is when you have really broad standards is that, um, uh, it has to be predictable how it's applied, you know, and, and not everyone's going to agree on the importance of protecting a particular tree or something. And the courts come down really hard saying if reasonable people are going to disagree as to how to apply this, then you have to, you don't apply it kind of thing, you know, and that's why Mr. Aldridge was saying you stick with the real specific ones. And, you know, when it comes to applying general standards, they only apply if, if, if it's really clear there's a, there's a, you know, there's a public health safety problem in that particular instance. So like I said, I'll, I'll provide a detailed analysis on that. Uh, I look forward to your closing arguments and uh, I appreciate, you know, all the hard work done. And I, I know this is important to everybody and I treat it that way as well. So anyway, we're adjourned for today and everyone have a good um, day. Oh, sure. Out of curiosity, who do we submit our closing arguments oh, oh, to? Actually, I don't have your contact. Mr. Eldridge actually uh, sent it to okay. him and, uh, and um, uh, let's see, how should we, yeah trying to figure out how to, because normally in an appeal, I have a pre-hearing order out that has everyone's email address and that kind of, Mr. Mr. Aldridge, do you have everybody's email address who's participating in this appeal? I do. Okay, so um, yeah, Mr. Aldridge, so maybe if you could send uh, all the email addresses to all the parties and then all your closing arguments need to be sent back to all those addresses. Does that make sense, Mr. Aldridge? And include my, my email address in there as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we need to have the applicants and the whole appellant team email addresses in there as well, of course. Your email address, Mr. Aldridge. Mr. Aldridge will send that to everybody. And then when you put together your written uh, rebuttals and closing arguments, just be sent it, sure to send it to everybody on that list. So, and yeah, Mr. Aldridge, I'm sure you'll get that out in the next day or two, right? Yes, sir. Okay. I think we're set. Good question. Okay. Again, have a great day. Thanks. Thank you.